Welcome to episode 130 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Lovin. Today we caught up with Linda Dong. She just got back from traveling around the world for the past year. And before that, she was at Apple on the prototyping team. And before that, she worked on Final Cut and iMovie. And then before that, she was interning at Apple. She and then did a lot of that, Apple stuff. We're going to get into it. Uh, but before we do, we want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. Huge thanks to FreshBooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The freshest books. FreshBooks is the incredibly simple, easy to use, powerful system of tools for designers, developers, entrepreneurs, anyone running their own business, needing to keep track of finances, cash flow, clients, paperwork, billing, all this stuff. FreshBooks handles it for you in a really gorgeous interface. Does things like time tracking, mapping the time you spend designing to your clients. You can see how your time is making the most money. You can bill clients straight from FreshBooks. You can do follow-up reminders when clients don't pay you. It helps you get organized so you know where your money is, what's coming in, what's going out. You can automatically track your expenses by linking up your bank. You can track your time. You can get paid faster with quick invoicing on the go. It works on iPhone, iPad, desktop, everywhere you work anything that you need for accounting and cash management and client management. FreshBooks is going to help you. That sounds pee fresh, dude. It's very fresh. It's going to help you v grow fresh, your business. Dude, come on. It helps you <laughs> helps you be a better designer, a better business owner and make more money. And it's not that expensive. But if you go to freshbooks.com slash design details and in the how did you hear about us section, just put in design details. That'll tell them that we sent you and get you a free month trial so you can see how it's going to benefit you, how it's going to save you time and help you make more money. Yay money. So again, if you need a ridiculously easy to use, powerful way to track your time, money and clients, go to freshbooks.com slash design details. Thanks so much to FreshBooks. Thanks FreshBooks. And with that, let's get into episode 130 with Linda Dong. Hi, uh, I'm Linda, Linda Dong, and I am a previous designer and prototyper, but I just spent the last year traveling around the world. You know, no biggie. You're uh, an explorer now? Uh, yeah, Linda the Explorer. And I just got back to San Francisco about a week ago. And how are you feeling? Tired <laughs> and very well caffeinated. Yeah, I was gonna say, I saw a tweet today about like next level caffeination. I have been to psych class, I think, 10 times this week. <laughs> I'm running on. And it's a, only Monday. And it's only. Is it really Monday? Yes, it is. Okay, you're right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been meeting with a lot of people who I, you know, haven't kept in touch with uh, over the past year. And, you know, like people's go to thing is let's go grab coffee. Yep. Totally. And they really need to change that into something else. Like, let's go just read a book. <laughs> read a book together, not talk. Social reading. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Back to back coffee meetings, not possible. Too much coffee. What are you working on now that you're back? Uh, that's a really good question, actually. So I am actually just spending uh, the next couple of weeks kind of detoxing from all my travels. From the world? From caffeine? From caffeine, from everything. Um, trying to figure out what the next step is. I'm actually in like a very transitional period right now mm -hmm. where, you know, I ended my full-time gig at Apple. I traveled and now I'm trying to think of well do I want to go back into the world of prototyping or do I want to explore something else and right now my heart is going towards you know let's make a video game or or let's like let's work on some independent projects uh, which is something that I wasn't able to do before and you know it's it's unexplored territory for me and so it's scary but it's really exciting at the same time do you have a goal there as far as creating that um, so my only goal is that I'd like to try to do all of the design and the, uh, the actual programming by myself. For the, like a, for the video game. For the video game. Yeah. Yes. I'd like it to be some sort of interactive fiction because I think that genre is really, really fascinating. Interactive fiction. Yeah. Can you explain? Yeah. You know, there's like a whole dialogue right now. Like what, what is video games? Like what, what is the game industry? And like, is it art? Is it, is it like arcades? And interactive fiction is sort of uh, this idea that you're creating a narrative and you're making it so that the reader is, has, um, let's see, has impact on the story itself. So mm -hmm. the first example of that would be like choose your own adventure story. That, okay. That's a piece so of So just some form fiction. of agency? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the notion that the narrative kind of twists and turns based off of like the user's... Um, 
input, which is which is really interesting because it creates this sort of like empathetic tie between the reader, like the player and the game itself. But it doesn't necessarily have an aspect of like, okay, you're going to like shoot these things or solve this puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just kind of navigating this plot line that doesn't necessarily have like a linear story. Are there any games that kind of led you to this path? Uh, there are a couple actually. Okay. So, I mean, like there's a whole history of hyperlink games that became like really prevalent in the 90s. I mean, like Firewatch, for example. That's, That's the one that came one. to mind for exactly. me. <laughs> uh, so, so Firewatch is a great example of that one where it's just like, you know, you're you're navigating through the story and you have input and the personality of the character that you're playing. But at the end of the day, you're kind of this viewer into this world versus um, versus someone who just has freeform control. Mm-hmm. I didn't play Firewatch. <gasps> Why not? What? Uh, I don't know what it is. I've heard of it. It's really good. What is it? It's great. What do you do? So um, it was developed by Campo Santo uh, in conjunction with Panic, and it's a game where you're in the Sequoia, I think it's Sequoia National Forest. I could totally be wrong on that. Um, And you play a park ranger, and it's basically you kind of going on a walk through this national park that you're supposed to be surveying, and then there's this whole like mystery plot line happening between the other women in a firewatch tower uh nearby and this like creepy man who you know like is sort of disrupting uh like day-to-day activities in the in the game itself but really like it's just about your dialogue between you and this other woman and that's what makes it really touching Mm -hmm. huh she's the only other speaking character in the game and she's your boss i remember it got a ton of attention because of the visuals the Mm -hmm. aesthetic of the game Ollie Moss did an amazing job. I know it was many other people, but like his work on it was so good. Yeah, you can really see his aesthetic like totally on that. It is really amazing work. Do you have a vision in your head for your game? <laughs> uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> I I'm really into kind of like um, the pseudo scientific like seventies retro futurism mm. look. And so that's awesome. I'd like to incorporate that as well as some aspects from my travels. So gotta do that, right guys? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? How? Just uh symbols and architecture and oh, landscapes yeah. from yeah, yeah. the places that I visited. So trying to incorporate as much of that as possible and maybe tell a story about a traveler or an adventurer uh who goes to the same places that I went to coincidentally. Oh nice. <laughs> Uh, so this is obviously an ambitious project. It is. And it's really easy for me to say like, yeah, it's going to be great, guys. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll follow up in two weeks. And exactly. See, see how things are going. Exactly. When I've quit and just done something else. Yeah. I'm curious if you have a strategy to approaching the side project or if it's, I mean, obviously you just got back, but do you have a plan, a breakdown of how you want to approach it? Yeah. I think I want to approach it in the same way that I approach any project uh, that I was working on at Apple, which is just... You know, like just start making prototypes, just start Mm -hmm. experimenting with different colors and songs and just gameplay elements. And if anything sticks, that's awesome. And rolling with that. So hopefully it'll be a little bit more freeform rather than me like writing out a storyline. And this this is the next step that the character will take. Yeah. (laughs) But you're also going to program it yourself. Yeah. The whole thing. I got to prove that I did the work at Apple (laughs) (laughs) to get those coding skills. Wait, sorry. So which platform are you thinking? Um, Multiple, actually. So I I know, guys. I know this is very. Yeah, everything. uh, (laughs) I'm a game studio now. I think it's going to be iOS. And maybe it'll take the form of an iBook, which will be really interesting. What? An iBook? So an interactive book. Yeah, an interactive book. Wait, how would that work? So uh, Apple actually has this really interesting program called iBooks Author, and it gives you kind of like a basic set of tools uh, in order to create like a sort of like roughly generic, you know, like interactive ebook. Uh, but it has these like really interesting kind of like HTML widgets and like support for 3D objects and like all these little goodies that I don't think a lot of people have explored yet. And so I'm really interested in kind of incorporating that. And I don't know, it's becoming like a theme of mine where I take some like, I take like an Apple product and use it in a way that is not meant to be used. So That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you've done this before? 
Not necessarily. So, um, well, I mean, in a way. So, like, for example, when I was in Japan, I did this uh, kind of like keynote motion graphic experiment. I saw so, this. Oh, nice. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> that song is stuck in my head forever. I was blown away when I saw that the first time, which was had to have been like, I don't know, four or five months ago. Something. Yeah, it was a yeah. long time ago, um, which is crazy. Um, but... So Keynote obviously is not meant to make motion graphics, but it's something where it's like, ah, it's really cool if you can just like push the limits of Keynote to do something that it wasn't meant to do. And I really like putting those constraints on myself where I like take something and it has a lot of limitations and see how much creativity I can squeeze out of it. So I did that. Wait, what, what was the final project? I don't think I've seen it. The uh, so <laughs> It's on our website, man. I haven't seen it yet. It is, how do I explain this? It's a rainbow explosion <laughs> music that's, video, That's accurate. All right, link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I, I have no idea how you'd explain that. I don't, yeah. It's just I, really cool. I could cool. like act it out. <laughs> is that the first example of something you built that is abusing technology for something it wasn't really meant for abusing technology <laughs> not necessarily but most of the other work i wouldn't be able to show you because it was like at apple mm -hmm. but it was definitely examples of that where like i really like to like recreate things in uh, other things web <laughs> yeah right in other things and is this ambiguous enough tim um <laughs> hey tim <laughs> hope you're listening buddy yeah um I mean, like another public example of this is like there is this completely unknown uh, product called iAd Producer. I what producer? iAd Producer. iAd. That uh, Apple has released. And so that was actually an app that I had worked on um, when I was at Apple. And it's great, but all you can do is make Apple ads on it. So like, you know, like the iAds on, on iOS. Which they just shut down, right? They did. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Which is such a bummer because that app is amazing for prototyping. Um, <laughs> even though it's totally not meant to be used for that. It's, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like everyone should check it out. It's just like, this is an example in history where <laughs> someone made an app that's perfect for prototyping and uh, and no one used it for that. <laughs> but I did. So sad. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really curious about the whole travel thing. Mm -hmm. Why? What happened? Why, what Why happened? did you abandon the world that you knew? <laughs> what systems did you abuse to make that happen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. <sighs> okay. So that question always gets coupled with the question of like, why did you leave Apple? Um, Do you have a scripted answer? Is this from people outside the Valley, I, I imagine? I have a scripted answer and I have the dark answer. Ooh, you know which answer I want? And I'm feeling brave enough to say the dark answer. Fuck yeah. So you guys are lucky. Yes. Um, so the scripted answer is that, I know, got to tease you first. So the scripted answer is that, again, I said, like, I haven't known anything other than Apple. And it, I think it's important to get, like, in a worldview when you're designing things for millions of yeah, people. Totally. So it just totally made sense. Just, like, cut loose and be like, hey, you know what? I want to know what I'm made out of. And this is my time to do it. And I'm going to go travel and see how other people outside of San Francisco behave. Turns out it's totally different. There are huh. people outside of San Francisco? Weird. Yeah. Why would like people live elsewhere? people that don't have, like, iPhones. It's really weird. And the, okay. And then the dark answer is, and it's an issue that, you know, is really prevalent right now in the tech industry, but it's that I was the youngest member of the group. I was the only woman on the group for a really long time. I was the only minority in the group. And that led to a lot of difficulties. And I think that in any group, like it's so important to have diversity, not just to maintain like a healthy work environment, mm -hmm. but also just in terms of quality of creativity and of empathy in design. Mm -hmm. And it was both of those things were lacking on the team that I was on, unfortunately. And so there were some amazing projects and the people were so smart, but you know, at the end of the day, if you don't feel like you're getting treated with the respect that you deserve because of factors other than work and merit, you know, it's and those things don't get resolved in a timely manner, 
it's probably time to look at something different. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's interesting. It reminds me of, it's like if you take a list of the top reasons that people take new jobs or stay at their current job, um, usually money's up there, but quite often money isn't the number one. Usually it's feeling valued or some sort of internal recognition is more important than making a ton of money or, or whatever it may be. Exactly. Perks and micro <laughs> kitchens and shit like that. And to be fair, I think Apple doesn't do that to the, you know, like degree that you see other bigger corporations do. Like they they're pretty good about saying you come to work there to work there. Mm -hmm. You don't come because we're going to do your laundry for you. <laughs> what? Why I would you know, work anywhere guys. that doesn't do so your the laundry for Facebook dry boy. cleaning? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I haven't used that service because I don't want to carry my laundry around San Francisco. <laughs> you mean onto the bus and then off of the bus? Yeah, yeah people did that. That was weird. It is weird, right? Uh, how long How long had you been at Apple until that point? Um, in total, I guess I started. I first started working there as an intern when I was in 2009. And I first became full-time there when I, it was 2011. So whatever arithmetic time. that is. Holy is shit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I am like an old person at Apple. I haven't spent like a year at a job here in San Francisco until just now. <laughs> like I just passed. Can't a year. even make it a year. Holy shit! How do I ask this? Like, obviously, the outcome in your dark response probably wasn't ideal. Dark response. Dark response. The dark timeline. But at the same time, you you did manage God. to stay there for four or five years. Best reference. <laughs> Best episode of Community. Can you just talk to me a little bit about like what happened in between there? So you were there for quite a long time, but it ended maybe not exactly how you'd pictured. Yeah, I I don't know. You know what? It's not like there was like a moment of time where things just like switched, and it was like, oh, this is awful. Everything's awful. It was like a, it was kind of like a slow burn where you know like the same people kind of ended up hiring like cookie cutter clones of themselves and it just sort of extrapolated into an environment that was a little bit homogenous and a little bit difficult for someone in my position to uh navigate through okay you know totally yeah that's my very diplomatic response about that that's a a very eloquent way to put it <laughs> like it's it's hard to process sometimes yeah. like what led to that thing right so yeah. talking about the slow burn and people hiring themselves like i totally get that yeah yeah it, and i think that's just how it works everywhere where people aren't like remember when apple released those diversity numbers and it was just like what like, really bad how like this is so embarrassing like props to actually showing this to the world because it's not great uh and Unfortunately, I became a part of that statistic where I found it I found that those issues made working not as fun and because of that I was like, okay, you know what? Let's go travel. Yeah, what did that feel like when they started publishing the diversity reports? That would have been what 3 years ago? 2 years uh, ago? Yeah, pretty recently. Well, pretty recently. I want to even say closer to 2 years or a year ago. Yeah, I feel oh, like wow. there haven't been many. No, there haven't. And I think the last it was, couple of years were definitely like the the year of like the numbers, right? Like right. everyone posted their uh, transparency report thing. Yeah, I think Twitter did it first. Twitter and Slack and Apple exactly. and Google and yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, like when when they published those numbers, like obviously I I didn't even realize that it was as bad as that. Uh, because I'm in like an insular group within like the rest of the company, and it's like, pretty siloed, right? It like, is, yeah, it is very siloed. But um, I do think that the correct steps are being made to like make sure that collaboration is like actually a priority now, which is okay. which is really great. Nice, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the diversity issue, yeah, it's it's a it's a hard thing because. You know, you can't ever say like, hey, like the projects were bad, like the work is bad because it wasn't. It was super fun. And it's such a bummer that, you know, that didn't end up overcoming the rest of the stuff. Yeah, that is too bad. Yeah. And so now, like when I'm talking with companies uh, to figure out like, oh, like if I could do a part time contract, like one of my first questions really is just like, what's the makeup of your team look like? 
like how is the workplace environment? Because I realized that like no matter how great the product is, it's so much more important to work with great people and make sure that everyone like is in a good mood. What have you noticed when you ask those questions? Everyone really tiptoes uh, around that question. Yeah, I imagine. Like, how do you actually get the truth besides just walking through the office? And That's how you do it. You walk through <laughs> counting, the office. Counting people. <laughs> like, you have two of you. And no. Um, I, I think it's like, you can tell when someone is making up the numbers in order to just make up the numbers. And when someone's just like, you know what? Like, the numbers are bad right now, but these are the steps that we're taking to make them good. And and that's meaningful because you know that that they're trying to grow in that direction at least. So the effort momentum is enough for you to, like, give a bad diversity scorecard or whatever a pass? I think so. Just because, like, where we are in the state of things, I think, like, anyone who is making those baby steps uh, – in order to have like a, a more multidimensional team is, you know, probably on the right track and they're going to have a multidimensional team. Yeah. You can't so. just like instantly have like exactly. momentum. That's pretty hard to do. Did you guys read Mike Davidson's post today? I didn't. I read the first half. He wrote a really long post. We don't have to get into it. Was that that giant Twitter storm? No. Uh, he wrote like maybe? a legit blog oh, post, no. like yeah, 5,000 word. It's something about moving to San Francisco, I think was the title. Uh, it was about his time here, but he, he actually talked more about building teams and focusing on diversity. And he said one of the his biggest achievements was moving Twitter from, I think it was 80-20 male-female to 50-50. Nice. The design team. That was pretty cool because I think, at least in my interactions with Mike, which have been very few, is that's something he actually gave a shit about and mm. invested his personal time and effort into fixing. And even if Twitter hadn't made it to 50-50, like looking at someone in a leadership position like Mike that truly gave a shit, that meant a lot to me at least. That's awesome. Yeah. Very supportive of that. Uh, His successor, Ellen, seems equally awesome. Like, yeah. she's rad. I'm glad Twitter's really focusing on this that. This going to be yeah. cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about the prototyping team. I think that's so interesting. Obviously, Apple is Best working team. on a million things and... <laughs> Probably can't talk about a whole lot, but what was the prototyping team exactly? So that team at Apple, I guess the job description really is like it's it's like a really small team, usually fluctuates between like eight or ten people. And it's like a whole mix between designers and engineers and people who kind of are fuzzy in like in both, um, not fuzzy in both, but like good at both. And it's like a whole gradient of people who kind of have the skills in each area, but sometimes like weighted one or another. And uh, the whole point of the team is to, um, you know, envision concepts for new UIs for like for future hardware that Apple's planning on releasing. Um, so it's like a really interesting kind of exploratory group. Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned like, Avi Chaplinsky was on that team? Yes. So was Avi May was Lee on as well? May Lee was on, yes. So famous alumni. <laughs> uh, Avi Chaplinsky, May Lee, David Hart. Oh, I'm going to, I'm forgetting lots of people right now. Uh, Brent Victor was um, one of the original that, There's guys. a famous one. There, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, me. <laughs> Yours truly. Yeah. Um, oh, God. I'm sure there are others and I'm just blanking right now. But um, but yeah, like lots of amazing, smart people who were like made a huge dent at Apple on that team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really fun because you don't really see that type of group in a lot of companies. Like you don't you don't exactly. see a lot of companies yeah. devote time and energy and money into a team that's just meant to say like, hey, what you know, what are we thinking like five years down the line? Where is music going? Where is photography going? Where is videography going? And like those are the types of questions that that team answers, which is really, really interesting. And that sounds amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really, really fun. Yeah. Just hearing you refer to yourself as a prototyper. Yes. Usually people say, I'm a designer. Yeah, I use prototyping tools, whatever. Yes. But I don't often hear people identify as a prototyper. Yeah, that seems rare. It's Well, it's hard because it's kind of like this new thing. Like prototyping, like so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> so hot. Um, and I almost feel weird. Like I almost feel obnoxious saying it because it's like, I have more skills than you. But that that's not the case. Like for me. You do. Well, you do. You do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks, guys. Um, for me, prototyping actually involves a conceptualization stage that I don't actually see a lot of referral to when people talk about prototyping right now. Like when people talk about prototyping, I'm almost seeing it defined as a designer has some comps. Animating between two states. <laughs> Animate that shit. <laughs> You're a prototyper. Congrats. <laughs> here's like your, yeah, here's your badge. Um, and like, I sure you could label that as prototyping. Like you made a but did you really like did you explore those ideas and come back and iterate and like go in 20 different directions at once and do demos and all that stuff or did you really just make a screen animate and that's the type of prototyping that I'd really like to see more companies do where interesting where you're doing the prototyping before you design so you're doing the prototyping when you have a question that you want to answer So what does that look like? Like a, almost a wireframe that is moving between states or? No, actually, um, you know, I think for the most part, I mean, so it could be a whole assortment. Like it could vet, like uh, be visualized in any different types of medium. It could be, you know, a sketch or, uh, but like any anything that's like interactive. Mm -hmm. So... So it could actually be that like before you design the comps, you actually make the prototype. And that means that you just stick a UI that works for that interaction just to figure out. Man, we're so bad at defining things. I, I know. And like <laughs> Designers that's why... want everything to be designed and then it just makes everything harder to communicate. And prototyping right now is just such a like blanket word for yeah. anything. Like right. so the definition becomes really fuzzy. But like basically my point is it's really interesting to have um you know, a group of people dedicated to doing that kind of exploratory stage mm -hmm. of product design before they jump into making screens. And I think like that's a really interesting space for companies to kind of start creating. Did you use a bunch of tools or was it like all in mica or? Oh, you know about mica. Who doesn't know about mica? <laughs> uh, see, I thought that was hush hush. Um, <laughs> Just Google. So you, you probably shouldn't answer that then. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. I mean, so I used a variety of things. Like I came kind of from a web background. So originally I was prototyping in HTML, CSS. Mm -hmm. And when that didn't work out, you know, I would try Keynote, Framer, all this stuff, like origami, you name it. Like I've tried it. Um, and I've actually found that the best prototyping framework for me personally has actually just been real code, Yeah, which is, I, I mean, mean, it's, it's yeah, the right? best prototype. <laughs> Like, so unfortunately, that's like a very hard sell because it's like, okay, well, now like devote your life to learning how to program Don't learn again. principle, learn Swift. Exactly. So it's interesting because I think like the, the killer combo for me has been Keynote and Real Code. Okay. Keynote because you don't have to worry about any of that implement implementation magic stuff. Magic move. Exactly. Magic move that shit. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, and it's so easy and it's so intuitive and... Um, you know, I think like people can learn that in a day and just like start turning out prototypes, which is really what matters is like how quickly you can get that stuff done. Uh, and then obviously people have done like in between tools that kind of are between Keynote and Real Code. And like there's a whole slew of those. And I've just not found that it's worthwhile to put in my own effort in order to learn all of these things because mm -hmm. it's... You might as well be learning the actual... Exactly. <laughs> implementable thing. Yeah. Which is just my take on it because sometimes people just don't have like the time or they just don't want to learn code. So that's totally fine. And and things that have visual UIs that do prototyping like uh, like origami where everything is like noodles. Like that works really well for those people. <laughs> noodles. Noodles. <laughs> the way you said that. <laughs> Just a bunch of noodles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's literally what they're called, right? Yes. Noodles and ports. Yeah. And porks? Ports. Oh. Ports. Less cool. That, Less that'd cool. be funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Just ramen UI. <laughs> um. How much more of this can you talk about? Like things that you're able to work on? Can you well, talk about? What do you like, want to know? I want to know everything, but obviously <laughs> you can't tell me most things. Like, can you talk about the process, how the team worked together, how you hired, like 
how you were selected onto the team, the job requirements to be on that team, those kinds of things? I think I can talk to it in the way that someone interviewing would be able to, you cool. know, we would be it. able to talk to it. Awesome. So like, we'll just pretend you're interviewing. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about like, how does a designer get to the point where they have the skills to be on the prototyping team? Like, what would you need to know? How did you get selected to be on that team? Brian is basically 16. <laughs> he decides he wants to interview at Apple. What does he need to know? Give me advice, please. For the prototype uh, team. school. <laughs> Go back to school. No, he's, he's a boy genius. Ni- <laughs> nice boy genius. Yes. Uh, finished school at 16. Yep. I don't know why I chose 16. He's just very young. This, is all, all, true. this is all true, by the way. I would say everyone who's been on that team has um, a huge interest in dealing with ambiguous problems, dealing with you know open-ended questions about what our future could look like lack of constraints exactly that but is also scary. the most constraints and so like i i came from a design background obviously and you know like other people like avi i think he has an electrical engineer background mm-hmm. some people come from computer programming uh philosophy science so there's no definition for like the quintessential cookie cutter prototyper which there shouldn't be in any company um but diversity diversity hashtag diversity uh exactly and uh i think a lot of people like come into that group from a sort of creative coding background so uh that's sort of like you know maybe doing like conceptual art that you know is programmatically generated or working on say like museum installations or music videos or interactive art um do you feel like a technical background or technical understanding is a prerequisite for that kind of role you know i would say probably yes like in that spectrum between design and engineering i was definitely more weighted towards design when i first came in and then it became a situation where I was like, if I'm going to keep up, I I should learn how to program. Like, how did you do real it? Real program. I learned how to program. <laughs> I worked at the place where they invented the language. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a lot of extra work. It was, it was uh, you know, like I would get initiatives for projects and be like, oh, man, I have to learn Swift <laughs> tonight in order to make a prototype for tomorrow uh, to present. And so it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of long hours. So you did it outside of work on your own time, nights and weekends. Isn't that like how we all do it? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love that that's the case. Mm -hmm. I think there's one argument to be made for companies supporting a structure that allows you to learn that on the job. Mm -hmm. But there's something really um, telling about a person who will do that outside of their job. Like there's a true hunger there to devote your free time to in it. the way that you don't become Olympic athletes by working eight to five, you don't become like really great at what you do by working eight to five. That's not a thing that happens. Yeah. You have to be designing twenty four seven until you burn out and travel around the world. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, on guys. topic. Guys. <laughs> Take the Linda Dong approach. <laughs> oh, wait, but like could I coin that? Trademark. Design details, 2016. Sorry, we did. <laughs> yeah, get really burnt out, guys. Um, but I think like uh, a huge thing, like when I was looking at portfolios for you know people who are interested in, in the job was just like, how many side projects do you do? Like, it's always better when- them. Exactly. All of them. <laughs> All of them. Someone that- asked me if I had 30 hours in a day the other day, and I was like, that is the greatest compliment you could give me. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a good compliment. Mason Hahn. Yeah. We cut you off. Side projects for days. No, don't worry about it, guys. Side projects for nights. Oh, yeah, true. That's true. (laughs) Talk to me about your side projects. uh, Which side projects? All of them. Uh, What was your first side project? My first side project was this website called uh, The Dangers of Fracking because I was young and youthful and environmentally aware. Wait, did that go viral? Uh. Humble brag, I got daring fireballed. <laughs> Holy shit, I feel like Oof. I know about it. <laughs> and that was a nice humble brag. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, so, yeah, that was one that I did in college, which, like, it was a parallax scrolling website, and it was just because I was like, yeah, I love the environment. Fracking is bad. How and... else do you do, like, an environmental <laughs> website without parallax? parallax? <laughs> no, there is no other way. 
Um, and so that was something that I had done in college, like apart from my studies. And I really found out that like, those are the things that companies were interested in hearing about when I did my initial set of interviews. Like they were interested in that. They like could not give a shit about my student projects because that's all that they have been staring at all day was like the same goddamn chair over and over again. Uh, so, you know, I kind of took that to heart when uh, I became the interviewer. Uh, and that was like the biggest thing is, you know, like, do these people have passion outside of their current jobs to explore? And it could be anything. Like there were just some people who would do like a sketch a day or, you know, like made music and like that. That's really fascinating. That's really cool. I remember a story about someone who interviewed at Facebook and had built basically an interactive fake cat. It was like a stool that had fur on the top and you would pet it and it would purr. And I was like, <laughs> that is the, the craziest project I've ever heard of, but that's amazing. Like that takes so much to do that one thing. See, I would hire that guy. It was a girl. That was a girl. Yes, yeah, she was rad. Thank you. Now I'm the asshole wow, who made Linda. the assumption. Jeez. Oof. <laughs> rough. I'll save you from that. Let's go back in time. What were you doing before the uh, prototyping team? Uh, so I was a UI designer on iMovie and Final Cut. Cool. Yeah. Video. No logic. Videos. No logic. Yeah. And it was the Final Cut Pro version that everyone hated. Oh, no. How does that feel? Uh, <laughs> it was rough. I worked on the How, how did you and... deal with that? That's, that seems like such a hard problem. Yeah, we should and, talk about and it. Not many people like, know what that experience feels like. Most it... people are lucky to get any strong reaction, let alone... <laughs> A good one. It was it was difficult, especially for my like young, vulnerable self who was just like straight out of college and super proud of what she did and it finally shipped and and then you heard people's reactions and it was just like oh it broke my heart and it made me realize like at the time that like, you know what? Okay, that's totally fair. Like there are features that you guys use on a databases that, you know, like we took out that you needed in order to create your livelihoods and that we removed uh, in favor of like a cleaner UI. And, you know, maybe that was smart for a different set of audience. And for others, it was really, really not great. And it was a really good lesson in understanding empathy because, you know, it was a situation where I shouldn't have designed in so much of a bubble. And like, obviously I can't take credit for all of Final Cut, but you know, like I played my part, like I played my small part on that team. And, uh, you know, like it's rough. It's rough to to get feedback, to get public feedback and a lot of it saying like, your designs were bad and this is exactly why. And for other people to agree with, uh, with what everyone's saying. Uh, and still kind of stand by the integrity of your product. Because at the end of the day, I actually thought that, you know, that end product was great. And it was great for this prosumer audience that we were targeting for the application and not great for like diehard pro guys and girls who had been doing editing in the old system for like 10, 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And it was a lesson in just kind of standing by like your decisions and saying like, no, I, I actually do believe that those were the correct designs decisions. And if you just gave the app a chance, you could see that, yeah, like, yeah, this is actually like a better way of editing film. And so like to this day, I still think that Final Cut Pro is great. Yeah. What's the mindset uh, when people shit on your work? Do you ignore it? Do you internalize it? Do you... I always read the what comments happens? and I shouldn't. Oh, that's I dangerous. Always, right? Yeah, uh, I do that. I'm one of those people. But seriously, like that's a it's a dangerous mindset, like a uh dangerous curiosity, right? You know that you're only gonna hurt yourself, but you do it anyways. I think it's healthy. Like I, I think it's not great to like stoke your ego and just have all these people praising you all the time. Um so like when I when I get criticism, like I do take it to heart and the whole like my whole model motto is like, don't be precious with your work. So, you know, like don't 
don't say like, oh, this was it. This is my final project to end all projects. Like, no, the whole entire thing is a learning process. And so if it doesn't work out this time, it'll work out a different time. And you just got to take it the way it is. And so, you know, it's a good example of how to kind of apply that in most of the projects that you're working on. It's just don't be precious with it. It realize that it's all transient that sounds like kind of a trust the process kind of outcome like Mm -hmm. trust that you kind of know what you're doing and that you can eventually reach the right answer yeah and like it's easy to say that but in the moment oh man it hurts and like i don't i don't have a good solution for that it sucks and like you want to be strong and say like no like i'm a strong woman i like don't listen to all these people but it's a problem like People are harsh. People are really, really harsh. People are the worst. People suck. (laughs) (laughs) Every little minutia of things like, you know, like they really just like hone into the language that you use when you have a blog post to just like nitpicking like all of like the... the color choices that you've made like back when you were in freshman in college. Like, yeah. Is that the project that spawned your motto? of don't be precious with your work yes <laughs> that's the one the answer is yes let's say yes <laughs> okay okay um so did you get into design at an early age like how did that start where uh, were you from so uh <laughs> wait wait all two the que- questions two questions whoa first <laughs> so i was born in small town athens ohio oh um, midwest yeah but i've grown up in many different places so Lots of different cities in Boston, kind of like an East Coast girl, went to high school, went to boarding school in uh, New Hampshire, and then college at Carnegie Mellon uh, in Pittsburgh before moving out into uh, San Francisco. And uh, to be honest, like this whole design thing is like a total fluke. I like was really set on science and like becoming a doctor. And You mentioned industrial engineering. Was uh, that industrial like design, a, actually. Industrial design, sorry. Yeah. What happened? Was that what like a happened? biomedical thing? or? Yeah, so uh, at first I was actually really interested in creating medical devices because I've always been fascinated with biology. Both my parents are scientists. And this was like, I like dabble in art and like I painted at the time and someone basically told me like, hey, you know what? There's like a profession that actually... <laughs> Lives at the intersection. <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, And that actually ended up being industrial design. And, um, you know, I uh, when I first started college, I actually was an art major and a biology major at the same time. And it turned out like I I kept saying, like, I want to make practical art. Like, what is that? And uh, I met with a professor in the design school. It's like, yeah, we 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 do that. That that's our that's our jam. Like, that's what we do. And so I transferred over into industrial design, which was so much fun because, you know, it's like a, it's a hands on thing where you're get, you're getting to learn how to like make furniture and the manufacturing processes of like all of these like day to day objects and learning about the history of them and how they impact people's lives. And that was really, really interesting to me at the time. And then like obviously, like everyone else, I had like web design in my background because like we all had to like learn GeoCities and Neopets and all this other stuff. <gasps> Every guess. That's the tenth, Every guess. Every, the tenth yeah, of yeah, Neopets guys, reference. Neopets has <laughs> like basically funded this entire industry. <laughs> right? Um, and yeah. And so like uh, at the time I was actually really interested in this idea of biomimicry. So I still had that kind of like biology craze that I was going through. So Biomimicry? Like, biomimicry. So that's taking... Uh, inspiration from nature and applying that into physical products or oh, architecture. I have heard of this. Yeah. Can, uh, but I'm really dumb and can't think of examples. Uh, like prosthetics so, come to mind? Prosthetics. And uh, a really good example of this is the design of the Japanese high-speed rail. So the shape of the nose they were trying to figure out how to reduce drag on the train so that they could go super, super fast. Yeah. And um, they struggled for that for a while until they decided to look at different bird beaks. And they uh, picked, I think it was like the king heron or, yeah, king heron, um, which is a bird that can like dive into like 
into a lake or a pond to grab a fish in like zero to one second. It's like, how does it do that with like no drag? Uh And they realized that it was the architecture of the beak because it has a very prominent, weird looking beak. And they copied that and applied it onto the nose of the train. Wow, our train's so fast now. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's exactly how it happened. And it's kind of like a doy moment, but... It's uh, Roadrunner. Exactly, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so so there's like various applications of that. Um, and obviously, I didn't end up going into it. <laughs> uh, but it's what still... What happened? <laughs> right? No, I mean, like, I'm still young. I can still do all this, guys. Yeah, I mean, what happened was that I uh, actually I interned at Puma uh, for a little bit, hoping that I would like make my way into the industrial design team. But I ended up in the web design team, which is also fantastic. And from there, like learned Flash and all this other stuff and realized that like, wow, you know, industrial design is really cool. And the exact same philosophies exist within the digital realm. And I really enjoyed that. That led to me kind of interviewing at Apple and getting the gig as a, u- a user interface designer there. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. You chose Apple. Apple reached out to you. How, like, why did you choose Apple? Why Apple? To be honest, I didn't even know I was interviewing at Apple. They had like a mix up at the uh, college conference center and forgot all of their posters. So I didn't know who I was interviewing for. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then afterwards, like, yeah, we're from Apple. You're like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I just shit. knew that they were in film. And I thought that like, wow, that's that's really interesting. I don't know anything about film, but... You know, design's design, so like I'd love to contribute and I'd love to be a part of it. And they were like, yeah, sure. And for whatever reason, they liked me. You mentioned uh, you're interested in that the philosophies were the same between industrial and digital design. Yeah. Uh, Like, can you just talk a little bit about that, what you found the overlaps were? Uh, The overlaps are just, you know, how any type of product fits into someone's environment. So whether that's interacting with a video camera versus interacting with a piece of editing software, uh, it's really interesting to kind of figure out the, the ways in which you can make that process as streamlined as possible. And it turns out that, you know, like the physicality of a of a button. And this is like skeuomorphism error, by the way. So like the physicality of like a real button and how that might be translated into the digital space. More noise. noise More noise and gradients. gradients six and, drop shadows. But like, yeah, I did that. Like I was, I was totally a part of that aesthetic. <laughs> how does it feel now? You know what? I kind of miss it. Right? A little bit. Everyone from that era says the same thing. I know. Like, who- it was great. Is, I, that, I was- is that nostalgia? Or is it something else? Is it is that we've we've? I was working design at that time, but it wasn't UI design. Yeah, like I I completely missed that era. Really? Yeah, I didn't get into UI design until 2011 or something. Like before that, I was doing like posters for musicians and like yeah. MySpace pages and shit. Like like it wasn't fun. That but is super like, boring. I don't know. It's <laughs> always fun to hear about how everyone just found themselves in UI design because like now they're teaching it in colleges. But obviously for us, like we didn't have that type of education. So we all kind of just stumbled in onto this career path and realized like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I went um, to school for audio engineering. I just happened yeah. to use Photoshop to do the things I needed to do. Exactly. Like for album covers and whatnot. Do you feel like the UI world has overcorrected <sighs> yes <laughs> <laughs> the deepest sigh of are you fucking kidding me it a little about ba- i mean honestly like it doesn't matter like it, if it looks good it looks good <laughs> but uh i mean like i i caught the the tail end of the skeuomorphism error so like i you know i was getting bored of it too i thought i thought it was just stagnant and there's really something to just be said about making something new and a new aesthetic just for the sake of it being new. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what we're going to see again more recently, like with the current sort of like whatever you want to call it, flat, colorful, animated uh, thing that we're doing right now, where it's like, okay, like this is awesome and it's going to bore the fuck out of us in like a couple of months and we're just going to do something new and, totally. and it will be controversial. But you know what? Like that's totally fine. I loved 
<laughs> it was on uh, Apple had their new billboard that has Dan Petty's vlog gradient on that. it, and he's like gradients are back. And then the next, uh, I guess this was Designer News. The next one was Facebook removes all of its gradients. <laughs> yeah. like, wow, nobody, <laughs> nobody really has a strong opinion on yeah. gradients. But turns out it doesn't matter. <laughs> Prize. Do what works well for your thing. Like, yeah, that's yeah. It depends, as with everything. Yeah. I just like I used to be one of those people who got like in pissy Twitter fights over like someone's messed up like one pixel error and like oh this is so ugly I can't believe they did this. Twitter doesn't pixel fit their icons. <laughs> Britain is that person. <laughs> and now I've just kind of stepped back and it's like you know there are bigger problems that we need to solve before we solve these like minutia pixel pushing situations and we haven't done a good job on that so like let's bring the conversation back guys and so people don't think we're freaks zoom out a little bit yeah just just a little bit it is really crazy though because i went from a, a design job where i mean like back on in iMovie days where i literally had a screen in front of me that showed only four pixels and i was trying to determine which like percentage of white each of these four pixels should be 100 percent or zero that's right. it yeah <laughs> So like going from that to a prototyping team where you're thinking just like extremely high level kind of balances you out and makes you realize that like, oh, okay, like the obviously these are both important, but, you know, like may, maybe the product is a little bit more important. I think that's a mark of a pretty good designer, someone that can traverse between high and low levels of design. Someone it's that understands hard. that the pixels matter and someone that understands that the pixels Don't play, a, play a bigger part in, exactly. the, in the product. Exactly, yeah. Did you get involved in Meili's Twitter thing about like things you'll learn when you leave Apple? I, I commented that there is no prototyping outside of Apple. <laughs> no one knows what that means, exactly. apparently. It's a very different definition out here. Well, yeah. pause. You all need to set some context. What was the Meili... Things you'll learn. She did like a tweet storm, I think, but mm -hmm. it was like four tweets long at first, and then other people <laughs> added on Mass to it. Tweet storm. Yeah, it was like a collaborative tweet storm. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting because um, you know, like we've both gone out of like this crazy bubble that we were living in um, of secrecy and and process and. You know, like sometimes thinking like, oh, the world must be like really amazing out there. And like in some aspects it is. And then in others, you're like, wow, yeah, like, you know, there is some really interesting ways that Apple kind of formalized the design process that actually worked out really, really well. And like, obviously, like the biggest one that everyone was talking about was radar. So that was like the bug tracking software that Apple had. And like when you're working there, radar is like your worst enemy, like. You hate it. The UI is dumb. It's got weird ants on its icons. Uh, and then and then you realize that like bug tracking outside of Apple and like at other companies is so much almost worse. non-existent in a way. And it's really like, yeah, it's really crazy. Like I don't understand how people are doing it. And now I, I understand why a lot of like design companies are using things like Slack to kind of keep track of what everyone is doing because there just like isn't that there's no person or product that's like filling that that niche space. So someone should get on that. Startup ideas. <laughs> on the train of you left Apple. Right. How's it been traveling for the <laughs> last <laughs> year? Holy shit. Uh it's it's been freaking amazing. <laughs> um, All right, don't break too much. Think okay, so amazing but not like like, I haven't, like, found myself or anything like that. You're not enlightened? Unfortunately, not enlightened. Bummer. I, I think it's something that this industry just, like, it just needs. Like, I think people really need to just kind of take a breather. Get some perspective. Get some perspective <laughs> and just, you know, think. <laughs> think about what they actually want. And there's a lot of hype, like, so much hype in, in this industry for for products that a lot of people outside of San Francisco just don't need or want or care about. And who are these people? Right. They, what? Uh and so like when when I was traveling it was just like really interesting to kind of hear like what normal people? I don't even know what you call them. But uh 
you know, it was really fascinating, like what types of apps they're really drawn towards. And it's crazy. Like every single person in even the most remote places I've ever been, like middle of nowhere, northern Thailand or like in the middle of the Sahara Desert, everyone knows this app Starwalk. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Crazy. That the planetary, like every single person knows that app. They don't know English and they don't may not even own an iPhone, but they know that app. Hmm. That was like the first app I downloaded on my like iPod Touch. Yeah. Gen 1. That was one of the first few apps that I feel like exposed what apps could be. Exactly. You and can combine all these different sensors to build a pretty immersive experience or interactive experience. And it's like, yeah, like what did that app have? Like, okay, it incorporated the real world, yeah. had sensors, yeah. and, but like most importantly, it was like, it was fun and it was whimsical. And that's like why it's so freaking prevalent everywhere. Like no one's being like, yeah, like look at this cool to-do app, like in, you know, in the middle of Morocco. <laughs> no one's like that. I'm so organized. Not a fan of Clear? <laughs> oh, actually I love Clear, still using it. No, I, I meant like Saharan people. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it doesn't really resonate with, you know, their schedules. While you were traveling, how much did you sort of keep your foot in the water to what was going on here? I don't know that is that's Keep your right... foot in the water a nope, thing? not ah. a metaphor, but let's just pretend it is because it is now. Uh, keep your ear to the ground. I now that's know what that I meant Trump is say. the Republican nominee. Basically. Right? Is that what's happening? Right. The answer is not at all, really. <laughs> really? So you went totally... I, uh, I, cold turkey on I Silicon left Valley. Twitter for a year. Holy which is shit. Crazy. You missed what does so that much even mean? stuff. I, I did not tweet that? or read tweets <laughs> did, in an entire year. How yeah. did you? That sounds exhausting. You just, you just have to. It was. You know, you just have to go <laughs> cold turkey and you're like shivering like the first couple of days. And, like, you had to go experience life. What? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was hard. And it was the reason why, like, I started, like, first, you know, being like, I need to fill the void with all of these, like, side projects. And then I realized, okay, I need to chill the fuck out and just talk with people and see what's going on in the real world. And, like, that ended up being really, really meaningful to me uh, because it's just it's just something that you don't do when you're here. Like, mm -hmm. I remember in... Uh, moment of total self-loathing i decided to calculate like the amount of hours i had spent just on the commuter shuttle going back and forth from my home to work yeah it's not a number you're gonna like no <laughs> and Ooh, I blah, 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 that. the uh the total was 68 days was 68 <sighs> days on a commuter shuttle not interacting with people just headphones on not doing anything and <laughs> Well, when you describe it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's interesting when people talk about like Twitter as not being people, though, because Twitter is definitely people like people are like, get your head out of your phone or like uh, people in the Midwest where I'm from. Right. You get a lot of like, why, why are you on the phone? We're, we're here. I'm like, but there are other people They're They're in my phone. Like those are other people I want to be involved with. I I. So I, I think it really depends on who you follow too, because for me, I just follow everyone in the tech industry. Huge mistake. Tech uh, everything. We're all the worst. Exactly. Like it would actually just be cool if one day Twitter just like swapped all of the people I follow with all the people someone, some rando person follows just for like a day, just so I could have like something new to look at. That should be like an empathy building exercise <laughs> at Twitter. You don't get your followers today. You get a random person's shitty followers. Good idea. It's like an April Fool's thing. They it's unfollow like a... everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Twitter collapses. You bring up like a, a really good point because like, you know, like Twitter friends, right? Like mm -hmm. those are actually real people. And I've They're actually built, I've built meaningful relationships off of Twitter. Yeah. But it was sort of a situation where I actually just wanted to let go of my entire lifestyle that I had in San Francisco. So that meant like giving up the apartment and, you know, like not not talking about tech, not worrying about it and focusing on other things like food. Yeah. Food's a good thing. I like food. <laughs> I think for me, the Twitter, that argument is interesting. I, I think that people are valuable and a lot of times the conversations are valuable. But I guess for me personally, what I've realized is the bad part about it is just the compulsion to check it all the time. And like it's this you know, fear of missing out, whatever you want to call it. 
I, I wouldn't even call it that. It's just like, I just want to know all the time what's happening. And I had this really scary moment the other night where I checked my phone and noted the time and then I, like checked it three minutes later and nothing had changed. I'm like, Jesus, I'm so addicted to just checking this screen. It was really bad. So I've tried to be a little more aware of it, but I don't think that has anything to do with the quality of the conversation. I think it's just, it's really, really addicting. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Bryn shrugs as he's on Twitter all day. So now that you're back, uh, are you going to change the way you approach these kinds of things, the conversations online, digital tools, things like that? You know, I'm going to try to, but it's so easy. To have you already slipped sunk. back? I kind of have. No, we lost you. <laughs> um, I think the, the thing that I, you know, like I took away and I, most of it is coming from my time spent in Japan was that uh, I don't like... In terms of technology and, you know, getting like really like worked up about the direction that like a certain startup is going or like the design choices that a certain person made, like really what it gets down to is just like, does your app make you feel good or doesn't make you feel bad? And it's kind of this conversation that doesn't really get brought up a lot, I think, in San Francisco, where it's. It's like a matter of like, okay, form follows function. And so, you know, like we are going to design the best workflow to solve like the world's problems. And and the design philosophy that I noticed in like Tokyo was, does this make someone feel happy? Does Is this animation fun? Is it whimsical or d- is it delightful? And so I thought that was really really interesting and I'd like to take that to heart whatever I do next and I and I hope it's like it's a mindset that people will kind of uh, gear more towards as like as you know for example like why I'm so interested in video games because I think it does it so well like video games create that sense of emotion like when has a piece of software ever made you cry like mm-hmm. video game UI design is also next level adventurous and creative yeah and and just like really fun. cool. Yeah, just <laughs> like, cool. What happened to just making things cuz they're cool? Like there's no there, there's no reason why that should be a problem. So so like whatever I tackle next, I hope like it will be in that philosophy and that I don't kind of get sucked back into like how utilitarian something could be. Is there a standout example of a game that you love the design of other than Firewatch? Firewatch is an easy answer. Uh, journey is another easy answer. It's a really good easy answer, but <laughs> yeah, you're right. <sighs> Let's see. I mean, my go-to game has always been Legend of Zelda. I love any particular version. Of Zelda, uh, Ocarina of Time, the good one, the, the best one. <laughs> Wind Waker is pretty great. Too. Get Majora's along. Mask is like a solid second, second or first. Actually, I for could me. never like after the first like go around. I was like, this game is weird. When you turn into I mean, a DQ, creepy. I was like, this is dumb. Like, I didn't <laughs> like that part. That's but like the best when you, part. When you play as a Zora, though, I was like, this is dope. When you play as a Goron, you're like, what? I'm like so big. Uh, I just kept falling off the bridge all the time <laughs> that you have to like roll up. Ugh. Yeah, that one. And that race. That race is so hard. Yep. Yeah. The, the thing that stands out to me as far as like game UI is like a lot of them are kind of static and default. Mm-hmm. The, the games that really interest me are the ones where it's like, in universe kind of thing have you ever played borderlands 2 yes yeah. that ui is amazing i know <laughs> blows my mind well, every time i was thinking i watched you play division the other day i guess mm-hmm. of the other yeah. month and the way they did yeah. the the, the hud, the HUD over yeah. the environment was fucking so cool it just looked rad uh that really is exciting another really good example of this is actually little big planet Yes. So, yes. you know, a lot of the UI components, it's this like cute, adorable world made out of yarn. And the UI is actually kind of like attached to you in the world itself with a piece <laughs> it's of a yarn. string. Exactly. So like as you're like running around as your little character, like your UI is getting kind of like tugged along. And yeah, it's just like, yeah, that totally makes a ton of sense. And it's great. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I've never played it. But that sounds amazing. Just play it for the UI. Just play it for the dialogue boxes. <laughs> <laughs> play it for the dialogue. I like that. That seems like a really good place to end. Yeah. And we are over time. Yes, we are. Cool. Anything you'd like to plug before you go? Uh, yeah. There's the last question. Now you get to hear it in its proper form. 
we should all follow my French bulldog at Miso Frenchie on Instagram wow. and Facebook. Bam, done. Is your French bulldog interesting? Oh, what? How can you even ask that? At all? Her her name is Miso. She is a tiny French bulldog. Did she travel with you? She actually came with me to Japan. So she is a well-traveled dog. Nice. And, uh, okay, well, I'm going to segue here because I'm going to tell you this story anyway. But as I was walking her down through Tokyo, we actually saw these two super fans, like French bulldog super fans. So in Japan, that means they are decked out in French bulldog attire. Like Wait, that's French a bulldog thing? T-shirts, like, uh, tote bag, Like attire keychain. for French bulldogs or... They, they have custom-made clothing for themselves that is all French bulldog decals. Special breed. And they actually recognized Miso. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're kidding. I'm yeah. so confused. Holy shit. So I didn't know this so was this a thing. So this is why Japan is the best place on earth, and we should all just move there. I'm all kinda, right. I'm in. Kind of chill with that, yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> all I'll right. take two, please. Miso the bulldog. Uh... Links in the show notes. Miso Frenchie. Miso Frenchie. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you. This was super fun. Yeah. That was episode 130. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to Linda for coming and hanging out with us for an hour. It was so much fun hanging out with her. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Hit us up on our Slack team, spec.fm slash Slack. And if you've enjoyed the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Every review helps us uh, move up the charts, helps new people find the show. And we really appreciate reading the comments and feedback. Before we go, we want to thank our sponsor for this week, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is an amazing suite of tools that make it really easy for you to keep track of your money, how your uh, hours correlate to pay, and that's awesome. It'll help you track your expenses, manage clients, send invoices, and track your time on the go. It works on your desktop, iPhone, iPad, wherever you are. FreshBooks is going to help you make more money and do better work for your clients. So go to freshbooks.com slash design details in the how did you hear about us field, put design details. That'll tell them we sent you and get you a free month so you can try it out and learn how you can make more money and do better work. And that's rad. So thank you to FreshBooks. We'll see you on Wednesday with Joshua Taylor.